0: Thank you here. Welcome to another fun Flopnapal podcast takeover series. So, I'm always excited when we can have somebody run a full series, and this time it's Epic Takes mixed Tapes from the Customer Experience podcast run by Ethan. Uh, Ethan is uh, is the chief evangelist at BombBomb and he's been doing some ridiculously amazing conversations on the idea of customer experience and he's he's introducing this series around a mixtape. So, Ethan, welcome and thank you for doing this, man. Sure. Thank you so much. I think it's so cool that you open this up. It's a true community spirit and mindset that you open the show up to uh, to guest takes like this. And I, it's a privilege to be here. All right. So, introduce what this series really is all about as people will jump into this every other Tuesday or Thursday as the series unfolds. Awesome. Yeah. So, I was coming up on episode 100 of the Customer Experience Podcast. I'm bringing together typically sales marketing and customer success to talk about how we can be more intentional and aligned in creating and delivering better experiences for customers but i wanted to do something special cuz you know it's episode 100 so i went back and found some of the best passages that were transcendent of day-to-day operations that were transcendent of marketing of sales of cs you know that these conversations are packed with useful insights but these individual takes that i chose came from moments where they just transcended it and they're very uh, human-centered, human-focused. I think that's been a consistent theme on the show. So I really devoted that episode and now this series to sharing that. So we're going to hear from some really great guests like, and I think most people listening to the show know David Cancel from Drift, Joey Coleman, author of Never Lose a Customer Again, the director of Runner Experience at Brooks Running, Rachel Ostrander. You are in this series, by the way. You've been on the show twice. One of my friends and co founders at BombBomb, Bomb, Darren Dawson, Matt Sweezy from Salesforce, who I know you know and wrote an amazing book called The Context Marketing Revolution. So that's the series. I'm really excited about it. And it's just a privilege to learn and share so many good insights from so many smart and kind people, such as yourself. Well, I'm lucky to be in this. So, Ethan, without further ado, let's jump into it as you introduce each and every guest for this entire series. And again, Thank you so much for doing this. Hey, welcome back to the Customer Experience Podcast. I'm really glad you're here with me because along with her team, today's guest is on a mission to change the face of beauty by putting multicultural women at the center of the modern beauty movement. She's a chemist by background, which is very interesting, who founded the company over a decade ago. Our guest today is Paula Hayes, President and CEO of Hue Noir Cosmetics. Welcome to the Customer Experience Podcast. Thank you. Really excited to be here, Ethan. Yeah. Congratulations on what you've done over the past decade. And uh, I look forward to getting into your personal story a little bit, your interest in what you're doing around customer experience across your team. But let's start where I always start, which is your definition or your thoughts or you know characteristics that you identify when I say the words, customer experience.
1: Mm. I first think of care. That's really big for me. I also think of how we show up authentically in in a way that is both valuing our customers, their opinions, their desires, and then ultimately delivering on our promise to to meet their needs. I mean, all that plays into my definition.
0: It's so good. I love the word care because it's about how you make people feel. And then promise is something that's so important. We set these expectations, we manage these expectations, but I'm gonna follow up here with your choice of um, showing up authentically. What does that mean to you? I think a lot, first of all, I'm very excited that these words and concepts are bubbling up in popular business culture, and it's okay to talk about these things and that they're part of the conversation, but just to get real on it, like, what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah. So I'm in an industry that first and foremost, yeah, it's about making people feel good about themselves, about the way they look, about the way that they show up. But I am tackling a part of the market that has often been really scorched and scorned by this industry. And so I feel like it's really important. One, I think it's important for me as a business leader and as the founder, CEO, and visionary person to be authentic in, in, in what we're doing. I think it's important important for our customers to to see me in an authentic way. But I think it's important for me to instill that in our entire culture. I think that the more that I do that, the more that we're able to communicate with our customers in a way that tells them that we're not just this robotic company behind the scenes delivering products, that we really have their interest at the core of what we do. And so I find that it's important just from a cultural standpoint that everyone, you know, here knows that that's what we're doing. And I always go back back to, I think my mantra over and over is how are we fulfilling our customer's promise? Because we say, as you said at the opening, our mission is to change the face of beauty by putting multicultural women at the center of the modern beauty movement. We only do that if we are authentically championing that every single day in what we do. And then we often find with some of our consumers that our brand experience is very different than the ones that they've had in in and with our industry in general. And they often find a company that maybe is at our stage and that company isn't owned by the founder anymore. The founder's maybe just the name on, on attached to the company. They're not really part of the company. So we actually can get questions from people that say, that's great, this is the way the company was founded and they'll hear the story, but they'll say, but who's behind it now? And we love to raise our hands and say, us, we, we are still behind this company. And so that's kind of what I mean by, you know, showing up authentically that regardless of whether it was just in the beginning when it was me in my garage or now at a point where I've got teams and we're nationally recognized and, you know, we're working to grow and expand that they know that we're showing up every single day for them.
0: Awesome. Before we go farther, for context for people, and I'm going to wrap a lot in here, so take whatever you want and, and run with it for a few minutes. You just said you started out of your garage, which is just a wonderful thing. You're a chemist by background. You founded the company over a decade ago. For folks that aren't familiar with Hue Noir, talk a little bit about why and how you found it. I have a feeling there was a gap in the, the broader consumer experience that you were trying to fill. But what was your motivation How did you make the transition? Just share a little bit about, you know, who you are as a person and as a company.
1: Okay, I'll I'll keep it as short as I can too. Okay. So um, I've loved makeup all my life, ever since I was, you know, a young girl trying on my mom's lipstick for the first time. As I got older say in my teen years, and I started to wear more makeup, I started to discover that I had a couple of major issues with it, that if it worked for me from a color standpoint, it normally, it had a really adverse effect on my skin. I've got really, really, really sensitive skin, which only made my skin issues worse, With which wreaked havoc on my confidence. If it worked for me from a formula standpoint, so it didn't cause a lot of issues, it looked horrible in my opinion the colors never worked and i never felt confident going out that way so it was like a double edged sword i always was someone who liked to mix and tinker with things i'm a tinkerer by trade in fact my mom used to send me to the beauty salon when i was little and i'd watch my stylist and i'd go like once a month but i watched my stylist like mixing the products and so in between services i would go home and mix stuff so i always kind of had this fascination with mixing uh, you know beauty products anyway so fast forward, I fell in love with science. I decided I was going to major in biology and minor in chemistry in college. I had an inkling that I kind of wanted to do something in the cosmetic field because yes, I, at least I saw a gap for myself, but I also started to just hear the complaints of all the other girls and women around me, but I had no concept or idea how to get there. I started my career as a product development chemist first in the food and beverage industry. I still had a love for makeup. And in fact, on my first interview with my soon to be boss, he asked where I saw myself 10 years and I literally said, this may not be popular, but I want to make makeup. And he kind of chuckled, <laughs> but he said, you know, there's so much crossover between food, beverage and cosmetic industry that if you get really, really, really good at the chemistry behind it all, there won't be anything that you can't make. And I kind of you know, kept him at his word when he ultimately hired me as a research and development chemist. I got really good at product development, both taking um, everything from reformulating to building a new concept to ultimately reverse engineering. And once I could reverse engineer, he was right. There kind of wasn't anything that I couldn't make. But I started to reach a point in my career where I could look on store shelves and see, all these cool products for all these cool companies that I had either worked on or I had pitched and then ultimately you know got to you know, the point where they could scale up and go to market. But I still was struggling with this fundamental need in makeup, and it just seemed to me like I don't understand why someone didn't, hasn't tackled this already. So fast forward, I finally got to a point where I said, you know I could either keep complaining and sitting back waiting for someone to solve the problem or I could tackle the problem myself. And that, that's where Hinoir came to be.
0: So good. And so uniquely qualified to do it at that point. You know, it's so funny. I, I, do you look at, I look at my career this way. You look at it in reverse if, from where you are today and it all makes sense in hindsight, but as you're going, it doesn't really quite make sense. Yeah. But oh, you yeah. thought it's the right thing.
1: Totally had that. In fact, if you ask some of my friends, you know, when you're first getting out of college and you're all starting your careers, we all kind of have our circles. And I think every single one of them used to look at me and say, what is she doing? Like, you know, I was the one who had this this job as an R&D chemist coming right out of college. I, you know, I was traveling to these places. I was making product, yet I wasn't quite satisfied. I went back and got my MBA and then I started cross training and then I left there and, you know, I just wanted to learn as many parts of business as I could. And they used to just, I think, look at me in bewilderment. And then I leave all that behind to say, I'm starting something in my garage. (laughs) But you know, it's got, it got me to where I am today. And so now it's funny having those same conversations with some of those same people and, and, and me, like you said, in hindsight, looking at my career and I'm like, yeah, you know, it all did make sense.
0: So good. So we connected because a friend of mine saw one of your presentations and said, you need to talk to Paula. Uh, your presentation was scaling business ventures by uh, innovative disruption, designing for gaps in the consumer experience. Can you just speak to the kind of the guts of that presentation a little bit? You used the word gaps in your previous answer, so maybe identify those gaps and then share a couple of the main points that are of interest there.
1: Yeah. So that whole talk was about how you take this, you know, early company and really set it up for success through scaling. Right. And in my opinion, we could only successfully do that if we were making sure as a consumer you know, goods product company that we were bringing our customers along for for the ride, if you will so that whole presentation for me and it was a it was a more of a generic presentation that i was hoping that regardless of industry people could you know take some some points away from but it was the idea of understanding that growing and scaling aren't always the same thing you know growing is one of those things where you're constantly adding resources like you know watering a plant and the plant grows and you add some more and it grows some more but it was really the idea of how you maximize your resources both in terms of your people and in terms of your you know, operations, but then also in terms of your experience with your customers, right? Because at the end of the day, for a company like mine, unless I'm meeting their needs as I'm growing or scaling, it's all for naught. I, I really won't, won't be around. And so I wanted to really set the stage for, for, you know, what that took, what was it going to take to kind of manage all those things along the way, that if you really were going to tackle a marketplace innovatively, you know, that innovation really had to take the place of learning how you were going to differentiate yourself. Uh, It was about identifying, you know, not only how you're differentiating yourself, but what service or what product or how are you going to meet a need in that place where you're differentiating yourself, you know, identifying that niche. And then I feel like the most important thing you can do at that point is to work really hard to understand your targeted customers, their wants, their needs, their desires, what they have, what they don't have. And then working to set up your operation in your niche to meet that need. And so I talked a lot about just what it took to understand your industry, identify those gaps, how you fit in those gaps, what your customers are really wanting, how you can deliver to those customers based on that. And then um, how you design your entire operation to move in a direction where you're doing all those things in, in somewhat of a seamless way but then how do you grow? How do you scale along the way when you do that? And I started to talk about once you kind of have all that in place, you always have to go back to your mission and vision. It's the only way, and it sounds cliche is what I said, but if you don't keep that in mind, you will end up in a place that you may not, have initially intended in your in your experience and, and for your company. And so I just wanted to kind of show them how you kind of bring everything along for the ride as you're kind of scaling and being innovative. And if you do all that well, that's how you disrupt market.
0: So good. A really nice bow on the end of that thing. And toward the end there, this idea that that the mission and the vision are so critically important. And it's this reminder of like, what are we actually doing here? Why are we doing this? Yeah. What are we actually about? It's that North Star. So, like, as you're moving forward and growing and scaling, you have all these routes you can take. And which route is the right route? It's not necessarily the one that produces the most growth or scales the most efficiently. It's the one that's the truest. Again, going back, showing up authentically every day. Yeah. Who are we? What are we about So a theme from the get go, as soon as you started in this conversation, you've been talking a lot about relationships with customers. Yeah. And, and so customer feedback, talk about that in a practical way. Like what kind of feedback mechanisms do you have? How do you stay in touch with your customers? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I know that it's true just in the way that you talk about it, but tactically, how do you achieve that? And how does your team achieve that?
1: Yeah, I think it's a multi-pronged approach. It's everything from making sure that from the very beginning, as they are trying to you know, discover products, if, if they're new to us, and they're trying to get answers, they're trying to make buying decisions, making sure that we're available to them, giving them some assurances. So it includes everything from just trying to be clear, trying to communicate our products and colors clearly. We offer something called a Hue Guarantee, which is no questions asked, 45 days, or like, if you're not happy, we're not happy, send it back. Because a lot of times, especially if we're dealing with direct-to-consumers, we're not always in front of people. We just want to give them a little bit more confidence in their buying decisions. So it starts with that. From there, for us, it starts with having excellent communication with them as soon as that order is placed. So we've got a really robust, what I call personalized communication system on the back end. Um, and that's just making sure that we are communicating with them. We, we always, always, always strive to get orders out in 48 hours or less making sure that those products are out the door that they are shipped that they have tracking information that what comes with it is all the information that they would need we send, you know benefit cards we send all the things that they would need to feel confident about their products Uh, my team still employs whenever they can some handwritten notes in, in some of our orders we just feel like it's a really special touch as when orders are delivered it's important for me to make sure we're getting feedback from our customers. So we not only communicate that we've got that 45 day um, guarantee on, on products, but seven days after their products are received, we follow up and, and ask them if they can give us a review. We, and I tell them specifically in this request that it's important for us. We want to make sure that we are doing the best job that we possibly can for them and that our products are meeting their needs. But we also feel like their feedback helps other people to uh, make more, more confident buying decisions. So that goes out seven days after order. It's a personalized note. We request that. We give them, you know, a little incentive. Although the interesting thing is we get a lot of reviews back, but not many people take advantage of the incentive, which I always find interesting. It makes me feel like we're doing something that's just connecting with them and they're not necessarily asking for something in return. So anyway, we then take those reviews. We post those on the website. We make sure that, you know, I'm not always good at, tooting our own horn, but I try to make sure that that we let people know what we're hearing from customers. And then it's continuing to follow up with them. So that's a lot around our direct to consumer experience. We also know as a company that sells products that are about appearance that our customers like us to show up. So we have geared everything from our social media to product activations that we do with our customers in mind. When I first started. I would go to any city that I possibly could and I, you know, do any event that I could get us in. We're now really focused, like, especially on our top 20 markets of making sure we have some way of showing up in those places. Now, I can't get to all those markets anymore, but um, we've also been working to build out a pretty robust brand ambassador program so that we always have people who are connected to our organization who can represent us in those cities. We work really hard with them. We make them you know, not, not only feel like they're part of the team, but we are engaging with them constantly. We're doing fun sorts of things with them constantly. And then they go out and show up as their best selves with with, with our customers as well. And so we, we just try to have touch points all across the way to making sure that we you know, are touching someone in in a really personalized way. Activations and having opportunities for people to try are also really important for our industry. You know, gone are the days where a, a lot of there are people who will buy products sight unseen, but it's really hard in the makeup space. So making sure that we're getting out and giving people experiential chances to try. And, you know, without pressure, we're not saying here, try this, now buy it. It's just experience the brand, discover something new. And we feel like that in turn leads to great relationships. And, you know, we, we try to cultivate that through our newsletters and, and other touch points as well.
0: So good. I have a variety of things that are of interest <laughs> to me. So I'll just knock them off. Uh, yeah. Forty-five days, it seems like a really good number. It's plenty generous. You know, gives me many, many opportunities to use it. How did you arrive at 45 days? Like we've done a a 30-day money back guarantee, no questions asked, kind of a thing. Talk about 45.
1: Well, you know, I wanted 45 because, you know, if we're talking direct to consumer, it takes some time to get their products. Our brand, I feel like are reflected by customers who are busy women just like me. I've got a couple kids. I'm really busy. I may not always get to that package the minute it, It shows up on my doorstep. It might take me a couple days if it's something that I want to use. It might take me a week before I open it. If it's something that I'm going to use, honestly, makeup is one of those things that looks different in different lighting. So if I'm going out to an evening event or a day event, sometimes the makeup I'm wearing makes it just looks different. So I just wanted to give opportunities for people to try. I didn't want them to feel rushed through the process, but I wanted them to know that you know we we are willing to you know work with them. And again, if it doesn't work, they could send it back. I had someone on my team early on who said, "Let's just do unlimited." But makeup is one of those things you you know at some point soon that it either works or doesn't work. So instead of being unlimited or instead of rushing, I decided oh, I'll add like an extra couple of weeks to our window, and that's how we arrived at. 40. That's great.
0: Six and a half weeks is very generous, and I love I love the rationale there. So I feel like you're doing probably some email and some direct mail in these personal personalized touches. Is that okay? Yes. Cool. Talk about the ambassadors a little bit. This is something I was in a conversation with a guy at a different software company uh, that I had the chance to visit and It wasn't an ambassador program per se, but these, these, Friends of the company that are properly like from a customer experience standpoint, they might just as well be a direct employee because the, right. the, the consumer doesn't know or care the difference. How do you cultivate that? how do you develop it? do you have training do you have assets for them? What is your vetting process like how do you you know when you hire a new team member you're recruiting you're interviewing you're hiring yeah. you're making offers and onboarding and training all that what does that look like for this kind of this this half step out out relationship with a, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's not extremely different other than the fact that they're not, you know, paid employees or part of the team. Like you said, they really are friends of the brand. And typically it starts with people who already have some sort of, of relationship with us. Often it's people who are currently following us on social media or they're showing up at the events when we're going out and doing some of these, you know, major events across country. Some of them express an interest in how can I get involved? I, I love this brand. I want to get involved. And so as I was looking at the fact that, you know, we needed to be able to expand our reach. Uh, We have people raising their hands saying we want to be involved with the brand. So this is something that we just started beginning of this year because I wanted to take the time to put together everything that you mentioned. I had to make sure that we had a vetting process. I had to make sure that we had an onboarding process of making sure that they could go out as confident as we need them to be representing the brand and talking about the brand. So which, you know, meant that we not only had to onboard them and get them set up and send them their shirts and make sure they have makeup and make sure that they could do all the fun stuff, but making sure that they could, you know, that they understood the brand, they could tell the brand story, they understood the products, and they could be as enthusiastic about the brand as we are. So we take everyone through that process. They have opportunities to apply. In fact, right now we're doing a whole campaign because I need more and would love more brand ambassadors in like the New Orleans area, Texas area. So social media post goes out. We Say hey, if you're interested, here's a link or tag a friend. A lot of people tag their friends, uh, which is great, right? And so then they they go through the official application process, which really just asks them more questions about them and their you know how do they hear about the brand and experience they have, and then we take them through the vetting. And then once they're through the vetting, you know, we want to be engaged with them. So we want to make sure that they have opportunities to engage with the brand. So we do fun things like we'll do contests um, that allow them to create their own looks and we'll post them on our social media and we'll let people vote and the, and the winner gets her own IG, you know, TV uh, programming on our through our social media or other sorts of fun things. The ways to promote them and show the great work that they're doing but also represent the, the brand. Once they're really up to speed, they may be the person who are going out and doing our events and then prior to the events, we make sure they not only have everything that they need, I have someone who's on call to make sure that they can you know, set up successfully, that they can execute successfully. And then we always follow up afterwards. We check on the experience, we check on how they felt about, you know, how things went. And then we ask if there's anything else that we can provide them in the way of training or support. And then in between then, we just love to invite them out to events and have fun with them. And so I feel like it creates really a great, friend, someone who's enthusiastic about the brand, who understands the brand, who can speak not only well about us, but can do it in a really authentic way. So it goes back to that.
0: Yeah, it's really a community building play in general. It's a way to, in a way, scale your, your proper team that's been directly hired in and compensated. So it scales that a little bit, but but you're creating this this additional layer that allows the community to really happen in the local environment. I mean, yes. you, know, you know, the top 20 markets, you could probably name them right now. If I asked you, I won't, <laughs> you could probably name them. And you've probably been to all of them at least once over the past couple of years. But, you know, to your point, this, this allows you to have that type of represent. Where are you all based? Like, where's the bulk of your
1: team? In Portland, Oregon. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, yeah, those brand ambassadors are critical for us in markets like, LA and New York and Chicago and yeah you're right i i could name them all but they re- you're right they really are an extension of us and they allow us to show up or at least the brand to show up in those places and 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 spaces sometimes we get things that come our way last minute or we're beginning to work with a lot more uh, boutique retailers who want to just have a day and have you know uh, a Hunuar themed day and so we can send uh, an ambassador to to go in and help out there and you know and Customers or potential customers don't necessarily understand the difference between someone who's part of the team or a friend of the team. If that friend of the team is really uh, telling the story, well, uh, all they know is they've engaged with the brand and they walk away with a better understanding and hopefully you know, more confidence about, about us and what we do.
0: So you do business online through your own website. Mm-hmm. And then you also work through retailers. If I read correctly, did you pull products out of a Target store?
1: Yeah. You know, so, we were part of a program that Target launched a little over a year ago. We went into a program called the Emerging Beauty Project. And it basically was them taking eight companies that offered beauty products, specifically in the cosmetic space, for women of color. This would be the first time that they really had focused products in that area as part of a, You know, bringing in indie brands. And... It was 100 stores, which was, you know, that, that's, that's no small change. And it was in most of our uh, popular markets. I was totally excited about it. It was not only a phenomenal billboard for the brand, I shop in Target. In fact, I think I was in Target just early this morning before coming into the office. So I'm in Target a lot. And I just thought, what a great place you know, a place that me and a lot of women like me shop already. I love the idea of our products being accessible and easy to, to reach, especially for talking retail. So we thought it would be a great opportunity for us. And, and like I said, it was a great billboard, but we started to find out pretty quickly uh, piece of the customer experience that wasn't happening for people who are interested in buying Hugo Noir's products. Specifically, it was our 20 Darkest Shades of Foundation. And Foundation is that base layer of product, right? And it's skin toned and it's got to work and it's got to work well. What I was finding as I was watching comments or feedback is that a lot of women were walking in the store, looking at the products, but they were walking away empty-handed, and we wanted to understand why. We also started to hear from Target that they just weren't seeing the sale volume that that they were looking for. At the same time, Ethan, I started to find out that our sample requests, people who were going onto our website to request samples of our foundation increased by over 1,300%. I didn't think that was any small coincidence. No. (laughs) And when we dug into those numbers, about 65% of that were people who had physically gone into a Target store. The others were people who were discovering the brand, whether it was because they heard about the Target launch or they were discovering the brand. But I just thought that is such a huge increase. And what it meant, if I was really looking at that customer journey, was that they realized we were in Target by one method or another, they were walking into the store, they were looking at the display, they couldn't make a decision, they weren't just going to buy a couple to figure out which one worked, so they were going all the way back home, going onto their website, requesting samples, waiting for that request to be processed, receiving their samples in the mail from us, making a decision, then the question was, do we expect them to go back to go back into the store at that point? Right. I mean, realistically, if we're being really honest about it. And so I felt like that was a big part of why that relationship just wasn't working. And we had a mutual conversation just about what was or wasn't working. I had offered uh, things like sending samples to the stores. I had offered uh, going in and doing in-store activations, all the things that we know hands down, work for our consumers. We had talked about in the beginning, we talked about it again, it there just really wasn't the room to do that in that, in, in that platform and space. And so as a result, we, um, I think, mutually decided that it just wasn't the right fit, especially for that type of product for a a foundation. And so we parted ways, but it was amicable. Um, We've all said that you never know down the road, there might be another time or place. But we've decided to focus as going out of that at the end of the year on our direct to consumer on maybe other retail relationships where we could take some of the learnings from that experience. And work with the retailer to make sure that that customer journey and experience was what the customer needs and what the store needs. So I'm happy to announce I ended up signing the deal in January with Sally Beauty. And we are working with them. We launched online on their stores May 1. And so we're looking very closely at that data. We want to be really clear about locations. Uh, We also want to be clear about customers' preference and using this time to introduce our products to their customers. And then we'll be talking about which locations we go into and how we provide that customer experience. Nice. Taking
0: a great opportunity, learning from it, being true to what you want to provide to your customers and having to walk away from it. And then taking that learning and, and turning it into another opportunity. So, so the the experience with the product itself is super important. Probably education is as well. Yeah. I feel like in some of the earlier part of our conversation here, you know, as you're talking to try to try to lower the, the lower the anxiety, I guess, with a guarantee and some of these other pieces of information, yeah. just kind of lowering that barrier so that someone can make a decision. Just talk briefly about the importance of education in the experience that you want to provide?
1: Yeah, it's extremely important and it shows up in different ways. It's important for us to communicate what our products are and what our products aren't to a customer. I think that helps to manage expectations. We want people to understand the benefits of our products. But I also like to explain a little bit of the why why behind what we do. I also find that in makeup, Many women have had experiences before with makeup. And sometimes you'd like to assume that a lipstick is just a lipstick, (laughs) but that's not necessarily the case. And some of that goes back to the formulation. And so it's important for me, for people to understand our products, how they work, best way to use them. And all of those things are important. Also, when it comes to things like our foundation product, something that is, it's, it's extremely proprietary and it's not necessarily like many of the products that customers have used before. It's especially important because their experience, their first experience with it is going to be shaped a little bit by what they've used prior to. Right. And so we want to make sure, again, that they're clear about what it is, what it isn't. Some people, um, my shades sometimes look very different than other brands' shades. But there's a reason for that. It's because it really is for us a product solution. We took exact skin tone matches and utilize that data to develop each and every one of our shades of foundation and started off as a custom shade for someone who had a particular need. And so it doesn't always show up the way you would always see brands show up. So it's important for us to communicate those things. So that's on the customer side. But when we're talking about retailers, it's important for them to understand our products. So we use everything from product fact sheets to make sure that that salesperson in the store understands the products and can talk confidently about the products to the customer. We also make sure that I'll send in our sales team to go in and educate the customers, not about not just about the products, but about the brand overall, about the products, ratings, and reviews. Again, it goes back to wanting them to be able to communicate in a way that helps people make buying decisions. And I think it's important for them to know more than just this lipstick is red. So we work hard on all those things. And it, it became obvious to me over the years just how important that is. And sometimes it seems like a little thing where you could just have a conversation and have someone understand. But it's very different from having a sales team that has all the product fact sheets sitting in, in, in the back you know, room or me sending a person in to answer their questions and, and really work with them one-on-one. It
0: is really, really important. Especially because you're doing something different. I think for mm-hmm. folks that are listening and you, and you don't have a physical product or a tangible product in this case, and, and I'm speaking from my own experience. Yeah, people come to our software with based on their expectations of how other things have worked before. Like you, we identified a gap in the way people are communicating every day and, and solved for it a bit. And so, just getting people up to speed on a new way to do something that is. Quite common, yeah. Right? For you, it's foundation, right? Like a lot of women put on foundation every single day, and they've done it for years. But this is different, and so that education layer is just so critical. Paula, congratulations so much on the growth that you've experienced over the past decade. Mm-hmm. It's it's really cool to to have to speak with you about. A, again, identifying a gap and using that as your primary point of differentiation in going to market, but blending it with your personal passion, your personal experience, having this unique background and the foresight to get an MBA just because you wanted to understand how business works. And then in hindsight, it all kind of comes together. Before I hit my, the, the way I always love to close the show, can you share on this journey that you've had maybe some things that you've struggled with or found some great success with along the way in terms of preserving the type of experience you wanna provide your customers over this decade from, from the garage yeah. to you know all the things we concluded with there with some of these retail opportunities and, and all of that.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was having a conversation with one of my staff members earlier because I feel like the longer we we, we go along, I can identify things that have happened over the years that I know have led to our success here. And there are things that I think we can't take our eyes off of. And one of them is just having the discipline to do this stuff every single day. It seems easy to say, yeah, we've got our customer experience dialed in. But it's another thing to execute it every day, to listen every day, and to respond every day, and to not take that for granted. So there are things like that that I just tell my team we can't take take for granted. I also think, you know, I'm... My staff would tell you I'm I'm really cool. I don't micromanage, but I am one of those one of those people that I really believe that it's important for us to not have a lot of exceptions, right? Because when we make exceptions, or oh, I'll get to that tomorrow, or oh, you know, I'll that person's bought from us three or four times. You know, they know us by now. We don't need to respond the same way. But I feel like when you make those kinds of exceptions, those exceptions start to corrode away, and they ultimately become the rules over time. Um, And then you're moving further and further away from delivering on that promise. So I just work really hard to make sure we stay disciplined in what we do, that we always keep our customers at the center of decisions that we make um, and new products or new retailers that, that they are always at the center of that. And that we've got a couple things around how we treat them that, that are non-negotiables. And I feel like as long as we do that, we'll be making decisions with them in mind. We'll continue to look at the opportunities that come our way. And ultimately, as I said, kind of as we were talking about that whole presentation I gave earlier on scaling, that we'll be bringing them along, along for the ride as well.
0: Definitely a winning formula. And it's, I'm sure it's all based in your mission and values as well. I think that that discipline, you know, innovation is the norm that, that the market is going to change, that consumers are going to change, expectations are going to change. And so th- that, that discipline is what allows you to stay in touch. This has been an absolute pleasure for me. And I know uh, listeners are going to enjoy it too relationships are our number one core value here. So I always like to, before I let you go, I always like to to ask, uh, is there someone you'd like to thank or mention who's had a positive impact on your life or career? And is there a company that you'd like to give a mention to for doing customer experience really, really well? Maybe someone that's inspired you on your journey in terms of building your own company.
1: Yeah, you know, so there have been a couple people that have There have been a lot of people, I should say, that have been influential on me along the way. But I think two that really set me up for where I am now is my first mentor. Her name was Brenda Green. She was an adjunct professor. And when I graduated college, I was so proud to call her and tell her I got this job as a product development chemist and we stayed in touch. And one day she asked me, well, what's next? And she wanted me to think about not settling. And I think she was the one who gave me that spark of, do I really want to be making products for someone else my entire career? She sparked the interest in me going and even thinking about uh, getting an MBA and others. So I think she's really critical. And then one of my early bosses, his name was Bill Haddad. He was not only the person who told me that if I learned and did a great job in formulation, there wouldn't be anything that I couldn't do, but he advocated for me. So years later, when I was getting that MBA, he convinced the company to cross-train me across the entire business. And that's because wow. of the puzzle started to come, come together. And I think without those two early experiences, I'm not sure if I would have done this venture the way that, that it is. And I, I don't know how it would have ended up. I'm, you know, All I can say is I'm excited about what I've accomplished. And I, I know that they sparked a lot of it. In terms of companies to shout out, You know, I'll tell you a company that I came across a couple years ago. Um, You may, I'm sure you've heard of it. Uh, It's Stitch Fix. The thing that I liked about them was the idea of taking this really personalized service of being a, not just a personal shopper, but a stylist for someone and doing it in more of a digital format. I was kind of curious of whether it could work for me. I was getting to the point where it was starting to get hard to pick. you know, pick, um, clothes and events and I was too busy for it all but didn't want to pay for a a stylist stylist and so I tried the service and what I found pleasantly surprised me just the time that they took even though it was through more of a personalized digital format to get to know me a little bit to get to know my style my preferences but then to have a personal note come with all my products and to allow me to talk about things that I had coming up or trips that I was taking and to have that person reference that as they were thinking about items that they pulled for me, and then ultimately having that bag come in the mail with it that if it didn't work for me, I could send it back, send them a few notes, and they could either send me something else or, or, you know, refund it altogether. I thought was actually a really pleasant experience. And so I've always kind of held that experience that even in a digital format with something that you don't necessarily think of as a process that could be digitized, digitized, that there are still ways to have personal connections. So shout out to them. You know, obviously they're not paying me anything for it, but (laughs) I'm just happy to mention that one. So good. I love the blend of digital and physical as well as
0: personal and personalized. Yeah. There is something truly personal about what they're doing there. uh, In addition to the fun game of, do you like this or that? Yeah, neither. You know, that, that whole thing. Is like, <laughs> that Paula Hayes, president and CEO and founder of Hue Noir Cosmetics. Thank you so much for being here. If people uh, enjoyed what they, what they learned here, how can someone connect with you or with your, your company or your products?
1: Sure. So the company website is huenoir.com, H-U-E-N-O-I-R.com. I can be found as Paula Hayes on LinkedIn. I love connections. I just feel like it's really important. I love to you know, learn about what people are doing in their careers and you never know where paths cross. You also can find us on Instagram as huenoir altogether or Facebook as huenoir. Awesome. Thank you again so much for your
0: time and continued success to you. Thank you, Ethan. It was a pleasure being here